0: Well, good, morning. good morning. Oof. You're all more awake than I am. I arrived back in Edmonton um, this morning at 1 a.m. I was in New Brunswick. I had a funeral to go to. It was my grandfather's funeral. And so I was blessed enough by the church to let me go home to do that. And so uh, if I'm a little, if I look a little bit more tired than usual, that's, that's why. So let's recap. Let's uh, look at our series you will be my witnesses, so up to this point, we've been focusing on the verse from Acts 1, 8, which says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Mark started by speaking a couple weeks ago about the power of the Holy Spirit and what that can do in our lives. This idea that this is Christ in us that allows us to be witnesses of God, to his grace, to his truth, and to his love. He challenged us in that first week with a little bit of homework that was highlighted again last week by Sean to write out a story that started off with this saying, if it were not for Jesus, and then fill that out. And so that's the challenge that Mark gave us in in his last sermon before sabbatical was to write a story in our lives. If it was not for Jesus, then what? And then Sean spoke last week about being missionaries or ministering to our neighbors. And he gave us three key points, um, and they were, does anybody know? No, I didn't think anybody would know. Um, And so it was a good message, though, And so um, they were waiting on the Holy Spirit, so this idea of not just rushing in and assuming you know everything, but waiting on the Holy Spirit in your lives. The second thing was being desirously affectionate, and he gave us a very easy caution on that, that you don't lead with that phrase with anybody that you go up to. You don't go up to, hey, I wanna be desirously affectionate for you. Um, That's probably not a good opening statement, um, but uh, for the single guys out there, try it and let me know if it works. Um, And so what this is is just being 10% more um, friendly, basically, than somebody else. Trying to be 10% more friendly. So this idea of desirously affectionate towards others. And then thirdly, he said be bold. He shared a story of another Sean in his life that uh, he was able to be bold with, who a guy he could have conversation with and eventually ended up leading to the Lord because he didn't shy away from the tough questions. He didn't hit him over the head with the Bible But he did share his faith with him and didn't back down. So he was bold in that. And he issued the challenge of what are we going to do next after the story writing? The challenge of talking to somebody else and inviting them out to coffee and sharing that story you've then written. And so that was his challenge from last week. But where are we going today? Today we're going to be looking at how we are part of national change. We're also going to look at Finding our place as exiles, which may seem a little different for um, us today because we're in a country that Canada that we're citizens of, and so we're not exiles, but we are exiles. And then also realizing that we are placed here for a purpose. And so, about a month ago, I was listening to a podcast, and I had my first aha moment as a pastor. Yes, I am that young, and yes, my first aha moment as a pastor was just a month ago, and it was, I was trying to figure out an introduction. Mark always says if you don't have an introduction, he can't even write the rest of his sermon, so if he's ever stuck and he doesn't have a good sermon, you know this introduction didn't come till late in the week. Um, and so uh, I was stuck on this introduction a month ago, and so I was just reading, and then all of a sudden I read something in a book that wasn't even related, and I remembered this podcast. And it's a podcast that has the guy who created VeggieTales in it, so Phil Vischer and Sky Giatani, a series that we did with um, last year or a year before. Um, he was on it, and there's another lady who's also a filmmaker on it. And they were talking about politics. It's an American podcast, so obviously they're talking about politics. That's all they ever talk about. And so um, either that or why Canada isn't as great as them. Um, something like that. And so, um, so they were talking about politics, and the idea of the right to vote or not came up. And so there were some that were very hard on one side of it. The filmmaker actually just created a film about um, one of the big battles in World War II. And so she was very much, people fought for this right for us to vote as Christians. So we need to vote. And then there was Phil who played devil's advocate and said well you know they also fought for the right for us not to vote, right? And so there's people on either side. And then um, Sky, the theologian of course, had to uh, take it to a different level, and he brought in Romans 13. So this is a passage that speaks about civil leadership in our time, and so how God has placed leadership in positions of power. And his argument wasn't probably what we expected. Um, It was that democracy equals we are all leaders. And so this idea that the power doesn't necessarily lie with the people in power, like Justin Trudeau, some of us here may like him or not, um, Donald Trump, a lot of us here hopefully don't like him. Um, and uh, so these people in power are not um, the people that we need to like but, uh, or know, but they are the leaders, but the people in power are actually us because we've put them there. And so without us voting in democracy, we don't actually put them there. Why is all of this relevant to today? Why is this the aha moment? Why is this the introduction to our sermon? Why does it matter? First, we're in a democracy, and so that's a key point. So then if democracy equals that we are all leaders, and we are in a democracy, thus we are here to be a part of change on a big level, a nationwide level. And our first point for today, that we are part of national change. So we all have a role, it's not, us just being a single person doesn't make us not able to affect national change. for such a time as this. This is an inspirational statement. Uh, It's this idea of we are exiles, but we're placed here for such a time as this. I'm an exile, I'm from New Brunswick, and I've been exiled to the prairies. And so uh, this idea that you're in a different place than you think that you were going to be. I thought I was never gonna leave New Brunswick, but I've been in Edmonton for seven years, and so now it feels like I'm never gonna be able to get out of Edmonton. But it's okay. God called me here. I'm okay with it, guys. It's not that I want to leave. It gives me a sense of purpose. It gives us a sense of security in God's plan. And it gives us something to hold on to and press on in our daily tasks. This statement, however, um, can be reinforced through Hebrews 11, where it speaks of all these Old Testament people that uh, lived by faith in the places they were called to, people like Abraham that was called out of a nation into a nation, this idea of being placed there for a purpose. There's always a but, though, right? But Philippians 3 gives us the other side of this, where we are in Philippians 3, verses 20, it talks about us being citizens of heaven. And so even though, like the people of the Old Testament, we are called to a place for a purpose for a time such as this, Philippians 3 tells us, that our time really, in our place, is really heaven. How does this work? What is the point? We can find ourselves in the letter in Jeremiah. This is where we're going today. Way back to Jeremiah, 29. Where there's a letter written to exiles, a letter that I think can speak to us today and highlight how we are exiles, and what kinds of exiles we are, and how exiles can affect a nation. So if you'll turn to me to Jeremiah 29, we're starting in verse four. Uh, it's on the screen if you wanna follow along there, but also you can find it in your Bibles. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into, <clears throat> excuse me, who I am sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This verse provides a change in focus. This verse allows us to move from what we typically think of exiles to what is true here in verse four. The people in exile feel that Nebuchadnezzar, the king at the time, has placed them there. But in this verse, we find this subject not being Nebuchadnezzar placing them in exile, but God. This focus, this ability to see God using something that seems to be terrible for something that is good. But we also see a change in purpose and in calling. So even though they are exiles in Jeremiah, God is the person that places them there, and so if God's placed them there, there's a purpose. God doesn't move without purpose, and he also called them to that place. Maybe we're here today and the idea of missions is not something that we feel is for us. And maybe we think that so far in our lives, our purpose in the day-to-day has been fleeting, similar to probably what the exiles were feeling. Or maybe the idea of having an impact nationally or regionally is something that seems too big. Maybe we feel like the exiles in Babylon. We feel like we're in a terrible place and we don't know how to change it because the problem isn't directly related to me, but a bigger one. One that is provincial or national. Maybe we think because of where we are today, God couldn't possibly be with us and maybe he is even against us. This is exactly how these exiles would have felt at this time when they hear these words that God is actually the person that's placed them there. But here in Jeremiah, we begin to gain the perspective. We gain the glimpse of a new focus and the glimpse of a new purpose and calling. Verses five through seven. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens Build, live, plant, eat, multiply, flourish. These are all words that God tells exiles to do in a nation that they don't want to be, in Babylon. A title that's often used um, pretty flippantly as just an evil kind of general topic. Babylon is never used in the good sense. But here they're called to build, live, plant, eat, multiply, flourish. Seek the welfare of the city you are in, and when it flourishes, you again will from it. Sometimes we feel as though we're in a nation or city that doesn't represent our interests or our beliefs. This idea of exiles. Yet like the exiles, we are also called to settle, grow, seek the welfare of the nation and the region, and not only because it is linked to our personal welfare, but because it is something we will experience no matter where God places us, whether it's in the place we think we need to be or whether it's in a place where we feel like we're exiles. If we confess Jesus as Lord, we are now citizens of heaven like Paul outlines in Philippians. Living on earth, we are all exiles. But we are exiles like those in Babylon, ones that are supposed to settle and are called to a place, called to actually pray for the welfare of that nation. Something that, that is so counter to what we're supposed to understand from Jeremiah. They're called to pray for that nation. The people that they think have put them in exile and are persecuting them, they're supposed to pray for the welfare of that nation. Thus far we've seen that we are able to affect national change because we live in a democracy and that places the power among us. There's nothing too small for us to be able to accomplish in a democracy. We're able to affect that national change. And now we're able to see that we are exiles with a purpose, called to a nation and called to pray for that nation. Verses 8 and 9 are a caution about what happens when you are exiles in a nation and a path that you could fall down. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Ignore the pot stirrers. These verses are verses that are cautionary to the exiles. Nobody wants to be in exile. Nobody wants that to be the place where they have to live, a place that they don't think that they belong, a place that isn't their own. So when you hear something from people in power that says, oh, it's only gonna be a short time, they're proclaiming like, not that long. Hey, look, there's the test. Um, And so uh, proclaiming that they were not gonna be there that long, that they were gonna leave, that they were gonna go back. But those people were not speaking for God. God had a different purpose, a different calling, the one that has been outlined for us in verses four through seven so far. Have we ever felt like that? Being in a place where we don't really fit, where we don't really care what happens, whether it's on Earth or in Canada, because our true citizenship is in heaven, so it's not wrong to feel that way, right? We are now in an eternal relationship with God, So we don't really need to worry about those in our province or nation who are hurting because our citizenship is in heaven, we're all good. It's not really my problem that there are so many people being affected by homelessness, racial racial persecution, or simply not being able to make ends meet. But verse nine here is the course correction. God again reveals to the exiles that he's in control and that this is a place that they are called to for such a time as this. They're exiles with purpose and now exiles with wisdom. They're called to be discerning about who they listen to. The end of this letter to the exiles concludes with these four verses. Verses 10 through 13. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill you, or fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. This very common verse here in 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God reinforces the need for the exiles to begin to reach out into Babylon here. Seventy years is a lifetime. Some of the people that would have heard this would have immediately realized that they're a little closer to the top end of the spectrum already. And so, 70 years, this is, I'm not going home. They're called there for 70 years. This is so vastly different than those that were proclaiming out of verses eight and nine, that they were gonna leave quickly. 70 years is telling them to settle, that this is a place where they need to grow. And since the exile is not a short thing, the people need to be reassured a few verses later that God is still in control. He has still called them there. This is still his purpose for them. Doesn't that give us a little bit of a new perspective on Jeremiah 29, 11? This verse that we pluck out and place in our graduation cards, in place in any kind of momentous occasion card. This verse is a powerful verse, but proclaimed to people that didn't want to hear it. People that wanted to hear what was coming out of the prophets and the diviners in verses eight and nine. They wanted to go home. But God proclaims, the plans I have for you Plans to give you a hope and a future are the plans of you being called to this nation right now. So, this is where we are. We're part of national change, whether we like it or not. We are in a place as exiles. And if we are placed here for a purpose, we now have the wisdom and we now understand the time line that God has for that. We know that we all have power to effect change because of where we live, we live in the democratic system. We know that God always acts with his purpose in mind and we know from the great commission in Matthew and from Acts 1-8 that we are called to go in the power of the Holy Spirit and make disciples. Making disciples is national change. From Philippians 3, Hebrews 11 and Jeremiah 29, We have learned that like the Judeans, we are exiles because as Christians, we are all citizens of heaven, but we are all called here to Edmonton for this time. Like the exiles in Jeremiah, we are called to where we are, called to settle, called to build. And like the exiles, we are also called to ignore those that tell us that the issues around us are not for us to care about. Like the exiles, we are called to recognize that in order for us to effect change in a place as big as Canada, we need to invest in it. And like the exiles, we are called to pray for our nation as well. At this point, I'm going to invite Hugh up, and he's going to share a testimony about how these three things are being acted out in a ministry that actually is a part of our church here that most people don't know about.
1: Thank you, Andrew, and uh, our condolences for the loss of your grandfather. I did a great job for a fellow that was on a plane until one o'clock this morning, thank you. Next Sunday, I'm going to jail. Now, you people may think that's kind of severe for a guy that doesn't know how to slow down when he's driving, but uh, there's a real story to this. The third Sunday of every month, a group of us from West Meadows Baptist Church go up to the Edmonton Institute for Women. That's the women's jail. We go up there, and we hold church services, and we do that not because we want to be good people, but... uh, for me at least it's a response it's a response to that passage in matthew chapter 25 where he talks about feeding the hungry and giving the thirsty something to drink and he said when i was in prison you visited me and then the lord says when you did that for the least of these you did it for me and so I'm very proud to be part of this group that has been going up to this uh, women's prison for the last several years now. We do uh, two one-hour services in the various uh, levels of security at the, at the prison. Uh, there are three, maximum, medium, and uh, minimum. We hold service in two buildings, one in the medium building and one in the minimum building. And they are real church services. We, we pray. We read the Bible, we sing, and we share with one another. And we have a wonderful, wonderful time with these, these ladies. And it's not so much us just being there, but the fact that they have a chance to worship God with others of like faith. And it was reminding to me, it reminds me of um, what I heard when I was in seminary and one of my professors said, don't you think you're taking Christ to the inner city? He's already there. Well, that's what's happening at the prison too. Christ is already there. Some of these women have done some bad things, and they they're in a federal penitentiary. It's a, a two years plus uh, sentence that they have to serve. And if they uh, behave themselves, if they take the uh, the remedial courses that they need to take, and if they and if they're dedicated. Um, They do leave that prison and they come out to be with us again. Some of them, I'll be honest, will be back there. Recidivism is is a problem in the correction system. But there are many that have gone out into the community and are still out in the community. When we talk to these women, we, uh, we ask for prayer requests at the end of our time together. They're written requests and we take them with us. But when we're talking to them and we find out one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things about being in a prison, is not the loss of independence for some of these women; it's a separation from their families, and especially the separation from their children. It's hard to be a mum, not to be able to hold your child, and that is motivation for a lot of these women to do something good. Now, I'm not, I'm not sugarcoating this; like these are tough ladies, but some of them are finding out that the fighting back just doesn't work. There's got to be a better way. I know, uh, like I said, there are three levels. We hold our first service in the minimum security building and uh, on occasion a very tough-looking woman will walk in with a corrections officer beside her, tattoos and a funny hairdo. We know those are the ladies from the max. They're the worst of the worst if you want to call them that. But, you know, I, I was just blown away one Sunday when one of those ladies from the Max spoke up and said, will you lead me in the sinner's prayer? She wanted to accept Jesus. She was there for very bad behavior. She wasn't going anywhere for a while. But she'd come to the realization that something had to change in her life. I'll be honest, I don't know where she is today but that was one time that just blew me away. So it's a real church service that we do. We sing, we, uh, we lost our musician, so if anybody here is, uh, is capable with a guitar uh, and wants to do something for the Lord, give us a call. Um, talk to Kathy Jensen or myself or Pastor Andrew, who is our staff liaison here. And uh, we'd be happy to take you along with us. If you can't play guitar, but you want to do something like that, talk to us. We want to uh, expose this ministry to as many people as we can. It's two hours a month, going to church, spending some time with some women that want to do something better. They're all there on, on a voluntary basis. They can choose to come or not to come to these services, but many of those that do come find something there. It was surprising to me that so many of these women have have had some experience. A lot of them sh- Sunday school as a child. They talk about those experiences. The songs they sing are songs they sing that are songs that they sang as children in Sunday school, and it's reconnecting again. It's reconnecting. It's building up that confidence that says, "You can make it when you get out of this place." I uh, I'm told that. Uh, there are num- there are numerous church groups that do go there but we're the only one that does a-, a church service an actual church service with singing praying and preaching and i just want to close by telling you that it uh, it's a wonderful experience when you do this for the least of these you do it for me says the savior if you want to find out more about ministry, come and talk to me. Come talk to Kathy Jensen. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So free indeed is a is a great ministry, and uh, it's. Truly something I'm trying to get into, it's a long process to volunteer, um, and so you have to go through all kinds of courses and applications, so it's not for the faint of heart. If you wanna apply, you're not gonna get in quick. I started when I got hired, and I still can't go into the services yet. So um, I must be that bad, I don't know. And so, um, yeah, and so if you wanna help out, just come talk to me as well. I can help you um, get through that process as well. But why is this something I share on the Sunday that is about regional or national? Well these ladies in prison aren't all from our neighborhoods. These ladies in prison are from the region. And so this is a ministry that actually impacts people that then go out and reach regionally. That's how we as individuals can reach a nation or a region is that when we rub shoulders with people in airports, I was sitting beside somebody who lives in Halifax and is traveling all over the place with sound, and inevitably the conversation goes, "What are you reading?" When I say "Faith for Exiles," he goes, "Oh, okay," and then the conversation kind of died. And then, and then you know we got to chatting long, more and more, and he asked me what I did what I was like. There was a dog that was particularly yappy, and he's like, "Will this dog test your faith. Um, And so uh, I said, no, I'm a youth pastor, and so I'm used to yappy things. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And so, so, uh, yeah, and so we had a good laugh and and shared about that. But this idea that when you meet people, you don't know where they're going, where they're coming from, and uh, if you rub shoulders with them, that one person talking to them can affect change regionally or nationally so if you don't remember anything else from today, remember that God has placed us where we are for a purpose and that we are called to a place and a time for such as this. And to conclude, we're going to actually do the thing that all of us can do today when we go home and for the rest of our lives to that it will actually affect national change 100% of the time, and that's to pray for our nation. And so, we're gonna pray right now to close for Canada. And uh, yeah, please join me in that. And this is something that you can do daily. And this is a way for you to physically, every time, affect change in our nation. God, we just thank you for today. We thank you that you came here. And we thank you for this call. This ability to be exiles in Canada, recognizing that this is not our final place, Lord, but this is a place that you have called us to for now, and for a time with purpose and given us the wisdom to be able to discern what we need to do. You've called us to pray, and so we do that now, Lord. We pray for Canada. We pray for the leaders. We pray for those that are in opposition to leaders. We pray that those that we put in power, Lord, that you place in power, will lead a nation that is worthy. Lead a nation that reaches out to others. Lead a nation that cares worldwide. Because like you shared, Lord, when we do it for the least of these, we do it for you. God bless our leaders as they lead. In Jesus' name.